It's the final edition of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and the Tar Heels are traveling to Bloomington, Indiana to take on the Hoosiers looking to get back in the win column. What does North Carolina have to do to avoid a three-game losing streak? You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shaden. Joining me as he does every Wednesday is our guy, Coach Pack Kilby. We want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listener watch every single day. Today's show is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss tonight's big ACC Big Ten matchup between the Tar Heels and Hoosiers on ESPN right there on Sling. Sling TV, the TV you love for a price you love. Try it today. So today, Coach Pat Kilby and I are going to get into some things. We're going to give you some big takeaways from the entire PKI tournament. And then uh, we're going to get into some buy and sell at the end. There's been some trends, good and bad, so far this season. And we want to tell you what we're buying and selling. But first, we got to get you ready for the last ever ACC Big Ten matchup. This one will be between the North Carolina Tar Heels and the Indiana Hoosiers, who have the Hoosiers have won last two times these teams have played in the regular season, but both were inside Assembly Hall as this one will be. Uh, but then, of course, North Carolina won in the 2016 NCAA tournament on their way to the national championship game, and we just won't talk about what happened there. Pat Kilby. Uh, some potential good news, and this is where I want to start. It seemed like maybe Armando Baycott wasn't going to play in this game. On Tuesday, Coach Davis at his uh, Zoom press conference said that everyone practiced and that Leaky Black, who rolled an ankle against Alabama, and Armando Baycott, who experienced shooting pains against Alabama, should be good to go. Great news for the Tar Heels, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get a big-time matchup like this, you want to see the best players play. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but then, you know, just for us and for what we do, obviously Armando is a huge, huge piece. Um, and then Leaky too. I mean, Leaky is probably going to be tasked with guarding one of the best players in the country. And so um, we're going to get to see real early how healthy his ankle really is and if he's going to be able to be a full go. Um, and, and, you know, to me, it's exciting just to know we're going to have our guys um, and it's going to be the fourth game in a row on the road. And so it's going to be tough, but hopefully we're healthy and we're ready to, we're ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you bring up a potential good point there. Like uh, assuming Armando is able to play as coach Davis said he would be um, like how, at what percentage is he at? And you know, would would he be guarding trace Jackson Davis if healthy, who you just alluded to. Um, and if he's not, do you put Leaky on him? Do you put Pete Nance on him? That's going to be an interesting uh, defensive decision to watch. By the way, just really quick, let me interject. We've been keeping tabs as we're recording. We're watching the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Virginia just erased an 11-point halftime deficit, came back to beat Michigan in Ann Arbor. 
Uh, could have been a foul called right at the end of the game on a Michigan three trying to win, but Virginia holds on to win by two still undefeated. And that means folks, the much maligned ACC is up five to three in the big 10 ACC challenge and would just need three wins to clinch this bad boy on Wednesday evening. And part of that obviously is going to be this Tar Heels Hoosiers matchup 915 Eastern time on ESPN in Assembly Hall. And so uh, another question I kind of wonder about, Pac, is that Coach Davis said um, that everyone practiced and and Leakey and Baycott should be good to go. When he says everyone, what what I'm not clear on with that is we knew that Jalen Washington would be getting back into the lineup at some point after Portland. We just aren't sure when that's going to be. The The team hasn't been very specific with that. And so when he says everyone, I'm curious to see, does he mean everyone or does he just mean everyone that's been playing? What, you know, so uh, we could see the, the glorious college debut of Jalen Washington tonight. Boy, I, you know, that would sure be nice. Um, I think I would, I would love to do that and love to see that. But, you know, my question would be, is this the ideal game for him to make his debut? <laughs> you know, that's, exactly. I, you know, it's on the road against the top 10 team. That would be putting him in a tough spot. But nonetheless, if he, if Coach Davis is confident enough in him and feels like he's ready to go and contribute, then yeah, I'd love to see him, love to see what he can, you know, what he can give to us. So going back to what you mentioned earlier with um, who might potentially be guarding Trace Jackson Davis, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, – Carolina do it by committee and, you know, use Leakey, use Mondo, use Pete Nance, and just try to keep fresh legs and length on him and see if we can't tire him out over the course of 40 minutes. And that would be a really interesting thing to see. I mean, you think like, oh, I don't know if Leakey can guard him. He's this big forward. Listen, Trace Jackson Davis is only 6'9". Uh, you know, and so Leakey's right there with him at 6'9", right? And so he's not giving up any height to Trace Jackson Davis. So I don't see, especially with Mondo, probably, I don't know what level of percent um, he is, but I I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, And then maybe if you need to, as you said, Pete Nance's length could bother him some. I I just think, as you're saying, you got to find ways to make Jackson Davis uncomfortable in this game and uh, really allow the Carolina defense to find some ways to bother what's happening there. Now, here's a question, Pac, that I have for you as a coach. This Obviously, this is a big national game on a big national stage. Um, what people have essentially said is the crown jewel of uh, this year's challenge. But at what percent would you play, if, if you were coaching Armando Baycott, at what percent of health would you play him versus sitting him out with the long view of waiting on March? Oh. Not, not waiting to play him till March, but you, you hear my point of sure. March being more important. Absolutely, yeah, I understand what you're what you're getting at, and you know, for me, I think um, a lot of this is dependent on what we've already done, and you know, we lost Iowa State, and then we turn around and we lost again, and so to me, um, this is like a, a needed game because now we're starting to play for tournament seating. Also, And so I think, you know, you got to look at it too. Like, all right, obviously we have Nance now and that provides some backup depth at at the five spot, but is a 70% Baycott better than a 100% Will Shaver? 
The answer Absolutely. is yes. Absolutely. So, and this is a needed game. And so I would think if it was 70% or better, I would play him. If it's worse than that, I probably would just be really cautious with it. But like I said, we really need him to, to, to be a full go and, and get out there and get after it because we need this win badly. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so, obviously, Doug Halverson and the rest of the medical staff will be in consultation with Armando and his family and, and uh, you know, Coach Davis and all that. And they're going to make a wise decision for him and for the team and for the team's future and his future. I'm not worried about that, but it's just always interesting to see. Now, here's part of the deal, Pack. I don't know what to make of IU, and here's why. They're ranked high. Everywhere, 10th in the AP poll, 10th at Bart Torvik, 10th at Evan Maya, uh, 11th at Ken Palm, 6th at team rankings. They're probably lowest is their 24th at Haslametrics. But what makes it difficult for me to project what Indiana actually is, despite all those high rankings, is their schedule. They're 6 0, they played six games, uh, beat Xavier a nice road win, 81 79. They're 32nd at Ken Palm. That's a great win. But their other five games, are you ready for this pack? All of them, all the other five games are against teams ranked 255th or worse at Mm. Ken Palm out of 363 teams in the nation. In fact, if you look at their schedule, I mean, they, I think their non-conference strength of schedule right now is like 355th. Let me look back at, yeah, 355th non-conference strength of schedule right now. That is absolutely pitiful. Now, you contrast that, my friend, with the Tar Heels, who are the only team in the top 25 to have not played a sub-200 Ken Palm team right now. And so while the Tar Heels have taken a couple losses, you still got to go out and win the games. It's just hard to know what to make of Indiana because they haven't really done anything against anybody. They didn't play an MTE last week during Feast Week. And so uh, it's really kind of a, eh? what, what do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think we've... Obviously, Xavier has proven to be um, a worthy opponent. And that was, a, like you mentioned, a really good win for them on the road. But for us, you know, as for scouting and for knowing exactly what we're going to see, I'm, I think that's still a question mark. It's still up in the air um, just because they haven't seen consistent good competition quite like we have. And so um, they're, you know, they're going to get a taste of it tonight. And it's going to be awesome <laughs> to see. Um, you know, how Indiana plays there. Obviously, it's in Assembly Hall, so they're going to be in their comfort zone, in their gym with their fans. But they will not. Electric atmosphere. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Absolutely. But they will not have seen the talent they're going to see until Carolina walks on the floor. I mean, that's that's going to be something new for them. So I hope that that is something that plays in our favor. And, yeah, so that's that's going to be interesting to watch, Pac, is – how quickly is Indiana ready to get up to speed based on what the Tar Heels are bringing with obviously this highest level of talent that the Hoosiers will have seen all year. Obviously that home court advantage is going to be massive in assembly hall. Two kind of things I'm watching for is what kind of hangover do the Tar Heels have in terms of like physical hangover, emotional hangover, mental hangover from the PKI trip. They went straight to Bloomington. Not only did they play the tournament, the last game of it was four overtimes with lots of guys or a few guys playing lots of minutes. So I'm going to be watching for that. How, how are Carolina's legs late in the second half? Um, and then also because of those results in Portland, you got a lot of game pressure on yourself. Now you feel less like 
like you were saying, you kind of feel like you have to win this game now because of losing to Iowa State in Alabama. And so uh, I feel like there's pressure to really go into Bloomington and do this against what's a really balanced team. Indiana is 14th in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. And so, man, Tar Heels got a lot of uh, hard work cut out for themselves tonight. So then, Pac, my question is, what's your gut on this? Is this a get-right game? Is this a bounce-back game? Do the Tar Heels head home as winners? IU is favored in this. The last I saw, negative six and a half points. If a Hubert Davis coach team has taught me anything, it's that they play best when their back is against the wall. I'm taking the Tar Heels by eight. By eight, so to win and to cover. I'm going to say that the Tar Heels bring it. They win, um, but do not cover. I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, not like a buzzer beater kind of thing, but like one of those like two possession victories kind of type thing where they hit their free throws, which this team is thankfully great at. Going to be a lot of fun to watch. Well, we do want to go back and give you some big picture takeaways from the Phil Knight Invitational. We haven't had Coach Kilby on since then, and, and I want you to be able to hear his thoughts on what Carolina was doing or not doing in Portland. But before we do that, I need to tell you all about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. So get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball, soccer, and esports, they've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those there as well. It's always the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. So, Pat, Carolina obviously beat Portland. At the time, it seems like, ah, it's a close win against a not-great Portland team. They had a great showing, Portland did, in this Invitational. But then Carolina loses two, frankly, winnable games against Iowa State and against Alabama. Alabama game aside, Pat, where I want to start with this, is the more frustrating loss to me or the more um, not-great loss is, is Iowa State. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's a really frustrating loss. And, you know, you and I had kind of talked about it. Iowa State just kind of uglied the game up. You know, right. they were switching defenses between zone and man, and they were real physical and just – I felt like they fouled just almost every other time down the right. court, almost so much so that the refs were like, okay, we can't call everything. That's so right. It's like the stuff. I thought of it like a second, a defensive secondary in football that's like, oh, you can't call DPI on us on every pass, right? It felt like that type of thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was just, it was an ugly game. It was an ugly loss. Did not think we played well. Our offensive flow was not there. And so um, to me, it was one of those ones where I was hoping it would be like, okay, that was an ugly loss. Let's move on from that and respond against Alabama. And we just <laughs> didn't quite do that either. Right. And, and I felt like they responded. I felt like like if Carolina had played with the energy against Iowa State that they played with against Alabama, they win that game by double digits. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, yeah. They responded with effort. They did not respond with execution. Yes, bingo. That's yeah. the way to put it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, Pac, I want to take you into the, to the coach's corner and ask you two coaches questions. 
one of the big takeaways for me from the Alabama game specifically was the lack of end of game execution, both down the stretch of regulation and in the overtimes, perhaps most highlighted by what happened at the end of the first overtime when Carolina has the ball can run out the shot clock and game clock. Essentially. I think there's like a one second differential, but Caleb love stands out top dribbling. The other four guys are down on the baseline. Basically no play is run. He can't get around the corner. So it takes a step back. Three. Is that three questions? Is that on Caleb for not running what was drawn up? Is that on Coach Davis for not drawing something up? Is it on some of the other players for not doing their part to execute the play? What is your take on that? To me, you know, that's on all three of them. Um, I think Coach Davis, there was not just the first overtime, but even in regulation and then towards the end of multiple overtimes. I felt like what we had drawn up was – or what we didn't have drawn up, I guess, was a question mark for me because it felt like it was a lot of Caleb, okay, go do your thing, go try to create something and hit a shot, and that just wasn't working. It hadn't been working all day. I mean, he was like 12 of 32 going into overtime, I think, which was, um, you know, beyond me. I don't know why, you know, he was shooting that many shots when the ball wasn't going through the net, but I'll move on. Uh <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that, um, so that was a thing. And then, you know, sometimes I think, I don't want to call it pure selfishness, but sometimes I think Caleb gets in this world where I think he, he thinks he has to put the cape on and do it all. And he needs to realize that he has RJ Davis and, you know, Armando Bacot and Leaky Black and all these guys around him that are really good players in their own right. And, when we had all of our success, you know, in that major run down the stretch last year, it was because those guys were one cohesive unit. They were playing together. They were sharing the ball, and they were tough to guard. And right now, we're a bunch of individuals on the court offensively. And that has to change for us to be successful, in my opinion. Man, that's good. That's so helpful. Thank you. I just, I always think it's helpful to give watchers and listeners an opportunity to, to see it through the eyes of a coach of like, how would this be going? One other coach's corner question for you. We've talked a lot about how important it's been for this team to get Puff Johnson back. Um, and man, particularly, in, he played 48 minutes against Alabama. So thankfully, I, I think it looks like he's good from a health standpoint. Um, But we talk about that Puff Johnson adds so much, but a lot of times it's stuff that doesn't show up in the box score, although he kind of had a a little bit of a stat-stuffing day against Alabama. And so so as to help people know, like, okay, if I can't see his effect on the game through the box score, what can I be watching for as a fan of Carolina basketball to see what Puff Johnson is adding to this team? Yeah, uh, two things, you know, right off the bat is just when he's on defense, watch his on-ball and watch his off-ball defense. When he's on the ball, man, he does a great job of just keeping the ball in front of him and forcing opponents to shoot over him. And when he's off the ball, man, he knows how to slide into the right spot and and take a charge, or at least attempt to take a charge. (laughs) That's right. He he has a great feel for it. And uh, those types of things, like charges, we call those slam dunks on defense, right? It's an energy for your team. The bench gets involved. You know, so it's – it's a, it's a key play, and he does a great job of that. But then you flip over to the offensive end. And let me tell you, one thing that goes underrated with Puff is he has a knack for getting to the free throw line. Hmm. You know, he finds ways to get fouled, um, and, and when he gets there, he hits his free throws most of the time. Good free throw shooter. Um, he's a sneaky rebounder. 
you know, his length and his athleticism. He, he rebounds the ball well. A good passer, unselfish. And maybe my favorite thing about him, if you watch him off the ball, he sets the hardest screens of anybody on our team. It's not nice. Armando. It's not Nance. It's not any of those guys. It's it's Puff. He sprints. And he sets tough screens. And it's just those little things. Like you said, they don't show up on the box score, but they make a huge, huge difference. And I think uh, this is just the coach in me, so I'll get, I'll get off on a little tangent here. But when you do those little things well, the game will reward that. And you see a lot of times Puff, like, man, he finds just like the craziest, weirdest ways to get points on the board or get to the free throw line. And I think that's the game's way of honoring just, you know, him kind of doing the little things right. And and he does. He does that consistently for us. And he's a huge, huge piece that we are very fortunate to have back. Man, that's good. That's such helpful insight. And and I hope it's really beneficial to people. So watch those things tonight as, as you're watching the Tar Heels play Indiana. Watch for Puff Johnson doing all these things, getting on loose balls, all of those things. Uh, Pack, I, I know we need to keep moving on, so I just want to run quickly through a couple what I've called head scratchers and a couple, hey, I don't want it to be all bad, so what are some positive things? And then I'll just see if maybe there's one or two of them you want to respond to. I'm going to run through three quick head scratchers. Number one, for everything great Leaky Black has done, one of the things he's not doing well that he usually does is assists. In four of Carolina's seven games, Leakey has tallied zero assists. That's unleaky black-like. Interesting there. Armando Baycott, head scratcher number two, has at least two turnovers in every game this season, including at least four turnovers in all three Phil Knight Invitational games. And then the third head scratcher for me is team-wide assists, not just Leakey. The team has had assisted on 54% of their made field goals or less in every game this season. Last year, they averaged assisting on 54% of their field goals for the entirety of the season. So clearly, I think that is a, a, a statistical way of showing what we're talking about with the stagnation of the ball, with Caleb and others just freelance. It's not just on Caleb. I shouldn't use only him, but uh, there's just so much stagnation. What I need to see is what we saw in that first possession out of halftime against Alabama. That was the best ball movement I saw all game. A couple quick positives, and then we'll get Pac's reaction to maybe one or two of these. Is the free throw shooting as a team? It has stayed at a high level, even though uh, we're not getting great shooting out of the backcourt right now. The team was 18 for 20 against Alabama. They're shooting as a team a dead even 75% on the season, just slightly behind where they were last year. But last year was the second best team free throw percentage in school history. Love that. And then the final thing is early in the season, there were, I mean, we're still early. At the very beginning of the season, there were rebounding woes. The Tar Heels got out rebounded by the first couple teams, but now has been rebounding better. They ended up losing the rebounding battle to Bama uh, by four, 58-54. But at the end of regulation, the Tar Heels led 39-38. And that might not seem like much, but right now, Alabama is the number one rebounding team in the nation in terms of total rebounds per game. And so that's right where you want to be on par with that. Now, oftentimes, it's the Tar Heels is the number one rebounding team in the nation. That's where we got to get back to. Pack, any of that you want to uh, dwell on a little bit longer? 
Yeah, I uh, I do want to go back and focus on one of the negatives real quick. Okay. Um, I just want to talk about Baycott. You know, he's averaging at least two turnovers per game. And one of the things that's changed this year is we've started incorporating our post players having the ball at the top of the key and running some handoffs. So anytime we pull our posts away from the basket and we're, you know, putting the ball in their hands that far away, we run that risk. And um, I think that's something that stood out is maybe that's a little outside of Armando's comfort zone. Or Particularly not- in the Iowa State game was where it most reared its ugly head. Yeah, I think he had three turnovers in a row, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. In the midst of I, it was, and it was in the midst of Iowa State when they came back to take the lead and never relinquish it again. And unfortunately, that was right when Pete Nance went out when he like jammed his finger again. And so it was like, right, it was like, I think he made his first turnover, but it was literally three straight Carolina possessions, three Armando turnovers. Yes. Yeah. Keep going. And you run that risk when, you know, that's the worst part about that, you know, bringing your post out for those those handoffs and things like that is you run the risk of turnovers and we've seen it rear its head, you know, here early in the season. So hopefully that's something that we see improve over time. I hope so. Thanks for sharing that. And and I think a lot of that, frankly, is something Pete Nance is going to be just naturally better at than Armando. It's just, he's been in and out at that point with some injury and then against Alabama with foul trouble. But uh, I, I would, I feel comfortable with Nance operating with the ball out of that, high post situation there. Well, friends, there are some really interesting trends for the Tar Heels this early season. Some of them good, some of them bad, as we've just alluded to. The question Pat Kilby and I want to ask is, are you buying those or are you selling on them? So the first, we've got four of these that I want to ask us. Number one, Buying or selling, Pack Hubert Davis will eventually, at some point this season, make good on the promise to utilize his depth more than last year. I wish I could say I was buying this, but at this point, I'm selling it. Sell it <laughs> down the river. Get out of here. Yeah, I, he just has not proven to me that he's willing to play him. And I think when Jalen gets healthy, we'll see Puff, we'll see Seth Trimble, and we'll see Jalen. Yep. And I think that will be the extent of it. You think DeMarco will, his time will uh, go down at that point? You know, I don't know. I bounce back and forth on that. I could see, I think maybe depending on games and matchups. Yeah, that's good. For the most part, I think that his minutes do kind of tighten up and shrink up just because Hubert has just shown almost a stubbornness to use the bench. But I also understand because he used them some against Iowa State and they squandered a lead. So, that's, you know, maybe there's some untrustworthiness there going on between him and the bench. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm selling. What about you? I'm I'm selling too. And I, and I think I've said it all week on the show and, and I'll say it again. I don't care how you use your bench. I think the weird thing to me is talking about doing it and then not. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you, you're the head coach of the North Carolina Tarles. You do whatever you want to do, but I just think it's point like it's almost like he felt like he had to say he was going to use it more and then is not. And so that that's the thing for me. But yeah, I, I'm selling. And again, you do what you want to do. You know how to run this team and, and what's going to work and not um, how to develop, how not to develop and all that. But uh, we'll see how it continues to unfold. As you said, I think we'll we'll have a better and more firm season long idea about that once we see Jalen Washington worked into the rotation. Number two, buying or selling. Leaky Black has been Carolina's most consistent, I didn't say best, I said most consistent 
player so far this season? I'm buying, buying, buying. <laughs> Y'all know I love Leaky, and man, has he been good this season. Uh, defensively, been just phenomenal, like always. And then he's improved so much on the off- offensive end, almost like I'm starting to wonder if he needs to look to score a little bit more. <laughs> like, I mean, just he's just been efficient. Uh, I think overall, I could be wrong, and you may know, Isaac. I I'm think looking at the stats right now. Um, Say and, it one more time. I think he's 50% from the field on the season. On the season, yeah, uh, 53.5% and uh, 41.2% from three. Now, only 17 attempts, but still. That's light years better than where, he, where he's been, and it's good enough that defenses have to honor him. That's right. And, and I think that you absolutely pack. That's the thing. It's I, I don't need him to have to have a high volume and do it a ton, but I need him to be good enough to have to be honored by defenses to pull a tent. Like I, if people are sagging off of him and Mondo can't operate or doubling up on, on a drive or whatever it may be, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Bingo. I'm with you. I'm buying this. Leaky has been so consistent on both sides of the floor and i can't imagine that happening to a better guy who's put his blood sweat and tears into this whole thing buying or selling number three armando baycott will eventually get right and become the acc player of the year man this is a tough one uh i kind of went back and forth on this one but i'm buying okay Um, i think that the acc is a little (laughs) bit down comparatively speaking this year and I don't know that there's anybody in the conference or any team that's just well positioned to stop him and or keep him off the glass and keep him from getting his around the rim. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm buying. Okay. But I do need to start to see some steady improvement from him, especially when it comes to knocking down free throws. He's yep. been the the one that's kind of been inconsistent, but um, I'm, I'm I'm buying. I think he gets right. Okay, yeah, uh, he's in free throws. He's actually like 67.2% right now, like two-tenths of a uh, percent higher than last year, which was his highest, but it's still like, I need Baycott at 70. I'm with you. Like, that's where you need to get to help this team. He is, I I looked back, he is even, I think the problem for me is, I was thinking about this earlier today. Let me say it this way. Because of the ridiculousness of last year, I have been discounting what Armando has done the beginning of this season. So I was like, let me, let me just look comparatively at his numbers to the rest of the ACC. This dude is still leading the conference in rebounding, <laughs> averaging 11.3 a game. There's only two other dudes in the conference averaging double-digit rebounds a game, uh, and both of those are under 11. In terms of points, he's not quite as high. He is eighth. But he's above like Terquavion Smith at NC State. And so uh, Caleb leads the conference in scoring at 20. And um, But Armando, for starting off quote-unquote bad by his standards, he's still eighth in the conference in scoring and first in rebounding. And so I, I think there, there's just this way in which Carolina has to realize the need to function through him better. Uh, reference the six shot attempts against Iowa state, which is not just about the guards getting him the ball. He has to make himself more available, but I think Carolina realizes their need to operate more through him in the post, the low post, not the high post, as you talked about earlier. And I think that gets him back up to those kind of numbers we expect to see. And 
obviously the caveat here is that he's healthy, right? We're going to have to wait and see on that. But um, I was planning to sell on this, but once I looked at those numbers comparatively to other ACC guys, I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Uh, and I think some of them, frankly, are makeup votes for last year when people are like, ah, I should have voted for Armando last year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our last buy and sell. Number four, either Caleb Love or RJ Davis will get to 40% on three-point shooting by the end of the season. As, as reference, both are currently under 30. I'm buying. And uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I think it's going to be RJ Davis. Okay. Um, I think I think he's going to get there. I think he's way too capable of a shooter to not get there. Um, we know Caleb is Caleb, right? He can get hot in a hurry. He can also get cold in a hurry. He can. And I think he kind of rides those waves. So I think Caleb finishes somewhere around 35%. I think RJ becomes our consistent three-point threat. Um, and I think the offense will become less and less individualized and more cohesive over time yeah. which is yeah. going to mean he gets the right shots and then he's going to capitalize on those so i'm buying okay i think i'm gonna sell on this one uh i looked at his numbers and just did some like what if kind of math he's 10 for 36 right now if he had made five more of those he would be over 40 percent. but i think like I think he's not, if we're sticking at 40%, I'm going to say he doesn't get there, but I think he's in that 35 to 40 range. So I think it's like a good thing, but I don't think he gets to 40. But interestingly enough, both Pete Nance and Leakey are above 40% right now. And I'm going to say that at least one of them will stay above 40%. And I'm going to go with Pete Nance on that one. I just, I think Leakey will cool off some, be a high 30s, but I think Pete Nance is the guy that will just keep that height up above 40% for this season. Everybody tuning in, we want to know are you buying or selling on these? Give us your answers as well. Pack, I cannot wait for this game tonight. Can't wait to see what the Tar Heels can do to get back after it and then turning right back around and heading up to Blacksburg on Sunday to kick off ACC play. Big stuff there. Uh, For those of you watching our guy, Pack, he's got his Christmas tree going in the background. If you're listening, you need to tune in and see it. My friend, tomorrow is December. It's the best time of the year. Happy December beginning to you almost. Same to you, man. Same to you. Yes, I love it. Well, friends, that is it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Hey, going to have a postcast after the game tonight live on YouTube. It's going to be a late one, but come in and join me if you want to. Pack, if you're still up, you want to hop in, would love to have you as well. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to recap this Indiana game, of course, and a little uh, preview on Friday. We're going to have linebacker Cedric Gray joining the show who just got newly minted as a first team all ACC selection you can follow the show on Twitter at locked on heels follow pack at coach underscore k23 you can follow me at Isaac Shade. thanks for making locked on tar heels your first listen and next we want you to check out the locked on sports today podcast it's the biggest stories of the day instant reactions big game recaps and of course the take of the day it's available on odyssey youtube and anywhere else you get podcasts also don't forget to subscribe smash that like button and leave some comments we really appreciate you hanging out with us on a wednesday getting ready for this carolina indiana game can't wait to see it tonight oh folks regardless of the outcome it's always a great day to be a tar hill isn't that right pat kilby until tomorrow Peace.